You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always at the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Latisse, and g'day, everybody. If you haven't met me before, my name is Luke. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's so great to be with you uh, on this warm afternoon. Uh, please be assured that uh, there are ice creams coming at the end of the service, uh, so that'll be nice. Uh, one of the difficulties for us in borrowing this space is we can't just uh, have our own air conditioning, uh, but, you know, aren't those fans doing very little but still something? It's great. It's, it's, it's lovely seeing you all doing this as well, but uh, how about we... Uh, pray as we get into God's word. Father, we thank you for the chance to study your word. We thank you that it's always uh, informing us and training us and equipping us. And we pray that that might happen tonight as we look at this beautiful passage. We thank you that you saw fit to give us a great commission, that you uh, have entrusted us with this extraordinary task and then promised to help us do it. Uh, May we take that on tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in week three of this series looking at the Great Commission. Uh, The words that we've just heard are some of the most famous that Jesus ever said and some of the most remembered. They're his last words to his disciples just after saying them. He ascended to heaven. But in a sense, they're the first words that he has for the church. This is his uh, marching orders for the church. Here he's laying out for us the mission and the purpose of God's people. And what is that? It's to go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, We've discussed a little bit over the last couple of weeks what a disciple is exactly. A disciple is someone who follows after Jesus, who embraces and accepts his authority. Uh, As we've seen, this is built, uh, Jesus has this authority as uh, God and creator and as saviour and king. And so a disciple is someone who uh, accepts and responds to this authority. They recognise that Jesus is God and so he is sovereign over all of us. A disciple recognises that Jesus is creator and so he knows what's best for us. He's created us, he's wired us up and so his way is the best way. But then we recognise that we've fallen short of that and so we come to him as our saviour and accept and acknowledge him as that to forgive our sins and then we ask him to be our king. We acknowledge that he has the right to rule our lives for the rest of our lives and every part of our life. This this is what a disciple is, someone who follows Jesus and recognises his authority. And Jesus wants more and more of this. He wants to see more and more people come to respond to him like this. As we've heard from Kevin DeYoung, God's kingdom exists where people bow their hearts to God. And so here we are going out to, to pursue this, to help other people respond to him as king. To me, this great commission is both deep and wide. Last week, we thought about how wide it is. About, we thought about how we need to go out there. We thought about the going out to make disciples. And this week, I want to think about the depth of it. 
What does it mean for us to make disciples? What does it, how do we continue to, to do this work? We go and what do we do when we're there? What do we do as we stay with someone? I want to suggest that the work of discipleship is helping people to understand who Christ is and then live under his rule. But as we think about that, that might be a bit intimidating to us, perhaps even a little bit confronting. Uh, let me tell you a story. So uh, about 15 years ago, I was part of a, a uni ministry uh, at Melbourne Uni called Christian Union. It was a fantastic ministry. And one of the key things that we used to do in this ministry was mentoring or discipleship. Uh, so I was mentored by someone and I would uh, seek to mentor other people. And I remember there was this one guy who'd been coming along and he was kind of exploring Christianity and he was kind of on the fringes of the group. But uh, I was meeting up with him and, and trying to walk through stuff with him and talk about the Bible and his life and all of this stuff. And, but one day he asked me, like, what does your job involve? And I said, oh, a big part of it is this thing called mentoring where you meet up with someone and talk about the Bible with them. And he suddenly said, hang on is that what you're doing to me right now? And I said, yeah, kind of. And he's like, well, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I like that. And the reason was, it made me reflect on a couple of things, this little story. First of all, it, it told me, reminded me that we may not like the idea of being discipled. We might like to think that we're self-sufficient. We want to get through life on our own. And the idea that we need someone else to help us, to teach us, to train us, to keep us accountable, all of those things, we might resist that. And there's another side of it here too, because I was discipling this guy, but I didn't want to tell him because I didn't want to ask him if I could do that, because that sounds incredibly presumptuous. Like, would you like to be my disciple? Is that something that Jesus can say? Or Paul can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But how can I say that? And so when we approach this topic of discipleship, we might react against both of these things. Do I really need to be discipled? Or have I the right to disciple other people? And yet I think this is something that Jesus is saying is open for all of us. It's important for all of us that we all need someone to help us in our walk. And then we're all called to help others in their walk. Uh, you think about one of the most popular phrases in the New Testament is the phrase, one another. We see this throughout uh, the, the, the letters. We see it constantly. Bear one another's burdens. Be at peace with each other. Live in harmony with one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Teach one another. Instruct one another. Build each other up. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Love one another. And that, that's just a, a sample of the phrases that are used in the New Testament. But I want you to see here that what Jesus is imagining for us is a community where we're all sharing the responsibility of growing in our knowledge and understanding of him. The New Testament describes a church that is totally engaged in supporting each other, where our lives are enmeshed in ministry. Everyone is a disciple and everyone is seeking to disciple others. David Platt writes, from the beginning of Christianity, the natural overflow of being a disciple of Jesus has always been to make disciples of Jesus. From the start, God's design has been for every single disciple of Jesus to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the gospel spreads to all people. And anyone who's experienced this will probably say how valuable it is. As I said, when I was part of Christian Union, I was mentored by a couple of people and I found it incredibly helpful 
meeting up with these guys regularly and just helping. They, they would walk through my life with me and, and support me and answer my questions or ask me tough questions to kind of think through how I was living out my faith. Uh, alongside of that, I, with a couple of mates, I was in a prayer triplet for about 10 years. We would meet most Sundays to kind of hang out, spend time in the Bible, praying with each other and watching cricket and whatever else it was. Uh, just now, I, I meet up with a couple of blokes who are pastors in Werribee and uh, we meet pretty semi-regularly to talk about our faith and so on. And, and so I would say that if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want your faith to be sustained, maintained, and then to flourish, then you need to be discipled. And you should also take on the responsibility of discipling others. But how do we do it? So this is, we might agree that this is a good thing to do, but how do we actually do it? And there's a lot that could be said about this. There's a whole bunch of books about it. I was just looking at my Kindle uh, and all the different titles I've got about discipleship, you know, making disciples, building a discipling culture, organic discipleship, uh, all kinds of names. That's just a sampling. And, and I thought to myself, okay, for this sermon, maybe I just need to summarise all the best things that these people say. But then I had another thought. Why not think about what it meant when Jesus said this? So what was, who is he speaking to when he says, go and make disciples? He's speaking to his own disciples. And what did it mean for them when they heard this instruction? How did they understand it? Well, I think they understood it because they had been discipled by Jesus. For three years, he had carefully discipled them. And so when they, when they hear from him, go and make disciples, they know what to do because they've been watching Jesus. And two big things jump out at me as I look at this text, the two, two key elements to discipleship. And the first thing is the moment of baptism, and the second thing is the lifetime of teaching. First of all, let's think about the moment of baptism. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Central to discipleship is the idea, the, the, the ceremony, the ritual of baptism. Now, why is that? Well, I think partly it's because baptism establishes and, and, and encapsulates the, the context for discipleship. And ultimately, it symbolises what the Christian walk is all about, connection and commitment to God and to each other. See, to be a disciple, we first need to be connected to God. We were made to live in relationship with him, to live with him and for him. Sin has disrupted that. We've kind of wandered away from God. But in his grace, he's pursued us. Jesus came to make up for what we've done. He took on our sin. He was separated from God himself, forsaken by God, so that we could be united with him. In his death, he does that. And then he's risen, he rises from the grave. And so we are able to live in relationship with him. In fact, so tight is this relationship that he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. God, the ultimate connection, his presence within us, changing us. This is the gospel story. And it's all symbolized in baptism. Now, of course, baptism, the act of getting baptised, doesn't save us specifically, but it symbolises and commemorates and celebrates the story of salvation. So in baptism, we go down into the water to symbolise that we need to be washed clean of our sin. Romans 6.3, all of us who've been baptised into Christ Jesus, we're baptised into his death. 
And then we're raised up out of the water to symbolise that we have a new life, Romans 6.5. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then we're given this new life following after Jesus, Romans 6.4. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism is symbolising all of this and it even symbolises the fact that we're not just connected to God, we're connected to each other. 1 Corinthians 12, we are baptised into one body. We're connected to each other. We're sons and, and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of each other and of Christ. So, God, the, so baptism symbolises and celebrates all that we have in the gospel. And beyond that, I think baptism is a really significant and important milestone, a kind of rite of passage. Uh, I think there's something really important in this. I don't know if you've noticed, but in Jesus' ministry, he's often uh, bringing people to a moment of decision. So he says to the rich man, you need to come leave everything else and follow me. Or he says to Peter, I want you to put down your nets, leave your nets and follow after me. There's this moment where he has to make a decision. And baptism is a similar kind of moment of decision. It's that point where you say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to make this public. It's your public declaration, I'm with Jesus. You're making this statement to God, to the church around you, to the world, to your friends out there, but also to yourself that you're committed so the person getting baptised will make public commitments when we have a baptism service. Do you turn to Christ? Do you repent of your sins? Will you, by God's grace, strive to live as a disciple of Christ, loving God with your whole heart and your neighbour as yourself until your life's end? And you respond, I will with God's help. It's this important moment of transition. And it's a significant thing that you can kind of look back on. It's a little bit like when you get married, you get a wedding ring. In marriage is a beautiful, that you get this ring on this beautiful, wonderful day, but sometimes there can be times in your marriage where it's difficult and you have to stay true to those commitments that you've made. And so you can look at that ring as a kind of re reminder, this is what I've signed up for, this is what I'm committed to. And so in the same way, you can look back at your baptism and remember the commitments that you made then to strengthen you through the hard times. So baptism is this really important transition moment where you really claim your faith and declare it to others. But it's not just for you either. It's for everyone else to do it. It's a, it's a moment for us to say that we are with you as well. So when we do baptisms, it's not just the person getting baptised who makes a commitment, it's everyone watching on as well. So we say, city on a hill, you've heard Joe Bloggs respond to Christ. Will you support him in, his, in this calling? And we all say together, we will with God's help. We're saying, we are alongside you. We're all children of the Father, saved by the Son, and the Spirit echoes within us all. So when someone gets baptised, we welcome them into the family of God. We embrace them as a brother or sister. Baptisms are just so wonderful. It's such a beautiful celebration, uh, something that we can all enjoy together. 
I see Tiana here tonight, and, and when I think of baptism, I often think back to her sister getting baptised and her own journey of faith as well. Uh, her sister, I was, as we were part of this Christian Union group again, and uh, her sister had been coming along, hadn't, didn't have a Christian background and uh, came to faith, and it was so exciting for us. And I remember her getting baptised and we were all embracing her. You're, you're part of the family. This is so wonderful. And I remember uh, Tiana, I think, came along to that, and at that point she was pretty sceptical about Christianity, had lots of questions and wasn't into this and said, oh, I'm not going to become a Christian. And then God was working within a few months. She was a Christian. And so we, we got to celebrate again. That's what we're doing together. Baptism is this wonderful milestone, this symbol, this celebration of what the gospel is and this moment where we gather and we declare it to God and to each other. We say we are connected and committed to God and to each other. And yet, of course, baptism should only be the start. We have this moment of baptism, but secondly, we have a lifetime of teaching. And discipleship uh, may kind of start with baptism, but it needs to go further. As one writer puts it, we're after uh, disciples, not just decisions. And, and this is something I've been reflecting on. It's so wonderful to see baptisms. It's glorious. But often you see people fall away afterwards. And I've seen that in our church. You will have seen people who got baptised. We celebrated that. And then over time they just sort of disappeared. And you've probably wondered to yourself, why did that happen? Well, one thing is I've noticed with lots of people that they experience a lot of spiritual attack after they've been baptised. The first week or month or three months after they've been baptised can be an incredibly difficult time. They've made this public declaration of their commitment to God and so the devil will seek to do, undermine that. But there's something else here too. We need to acknowledge that we haven't always discipled them as much as they needed to be. We haven't always provided the support, walked alongside the people as much as we needed to. But here's what Jesus says. We go and make disciples, baptising them and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you see, a disciple is someone who follows after Jesus because they're learning Jesus, they're understanding who he is. Jonathan Parnell writes, a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. And so there is this lifetime of teaching. And I think there's kind of two aspects to this. It's, it's studying Jesus' words and then observing his life. It's sort of taught and caught, you might say. Think about, first of all, the words of Jesus. Like Jesus was constantly teaching. Sometimes it's sort of planned out, a kind of set piece. You think about the Sermon on the Mount or when Jesus is at the, the Last Supper with his disciples or the parables that he tells to explain the kingdom of God. Other times it's kind of in response to a, a question perhaps or he's hearing, overhearing what his disciples are saying or there's a big storm on a boat and he feels the moment, is a great moment to teach. Whatever it is, he's constantly teaching. And our task as disciples seeking to learn and understand who he is is to look at what he says and then to apply that to our lives. Uh, think about the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most uh, obvious example of Jesus' teaching. 
If you're here last week, uh, last year, we, we did a series on the Sermon on the Mount and we thought about how uh, this is a sermon that's kind of, you might call it Jesus' kingdom manifesto. He's come to bring his kingdom and here he is saying, here's what life looks like under my rule. So if you want to live under Christ's rule, study the Sermon on the Mount. You'll learn more about what Christ is looking for, what it looks like to live with him. And so whenever we're looking at the teaching of Jesus, it's, it's not just to, to learn a bit of stuff, it's to be changed by it. It's information, but it's always information for transformation. Mike Breen writes, discipleship isn't a random assortment of facts and propositions and behaviours. Discipleship is something that is you to the core and is completely incarnated in you. If it is information, it is information that has worked its way into you and is now part of you. And so, as disciples, we study and learn what Jesus says and we do that in our own life. We ask other people to help us with that. And then if we're discipling others, that's what we do as well. We seek to teach what Jesus has said. We look at Christ's words and then we look at the, the rest of the Bible as well because we have this incredible opportunity. We're told in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Just as powerfully as, as Jesus spoke the words in the Gospels, the red-letter words, so to speak, the whole Bible is, has that authority so we listen to those words because, the verse goes on, all of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you want to learn how to live, study what God says and be changed by it. But we don't just look at what Jesus said. We also look at how Jesus lived, what, what he did. Uh, Jesus was not the only person in his time who would disciple. It was quite a common thing with the Jewish rabbis and they would teach their disciples everything. How many steps to take on the Sabbath? How many hours to meditate on memorised scripture? How to treat their wives and their kids? The length of their hair? How to eat? How to sleep? Even how to use the bathroom? We're told in almost every way that we can imagine the life of the rabbi was transferred into the life of the disciple. And in a similar way, Jesus does that as well. He, he grabs these guys together and he says, right, come with me, be with me for three years and I'll show you how to live. And when he shows them miracles and so on, he doesn't just want them to see his power, he also wants them to see his heart, what it's like. Here's how you do ministry, guys. This is what you need to do. They're constantly being invited to learn what Jesus is like. And I want to suggest that we can do the same as well. I mean, of course, we don't have Jesus standing right in front of us like they did in Palestine, first century. But we do have the Gospels and they were written so that we could get this vivid sense of who Jesus is. 1 John 1, the Apostle John says, The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, so that you too may know what Jesus was like and follow him. So if you want to know what Jesus is like, study the Gospels, look at how he lived. 
So if you want to grow as a disciple, watch Jesus. If you're discipling someone else, lead them through the Gospels and look for the Jesus. Know him, understand him, learn about him. Uh, I reckon one great way to do this is to aim to read one of the Gospels at least once a year. At the moment I'm reading through the Gospel of Luke. It's been fantastic. I'm, I'm seeing all of this stuff just in the past week or so. I've been, thinking, I've been reminded of the dangers of hypocrisy. I've been talk, uh, told about the folly of trusting in wealth and not being rich towards God. Jesus has invited me to let go of my anxiety because A, it doesn't work and B, he's looking after me. Your father knows what you need. And I've been reminded of God's heart for us. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I've been been reminded that God is inviting us to come to him. When we study Jesus in the Gospels, we learn what he is like. So perhaps you can pick one of the Gospels and go through it with someone. If you're kind of new to faith, why don't you grab Mark? It's like the documentary uh, short story version of Jesus. It's bang, 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 lots of stuff. You'll learn it really quickly. If you read Matthew, I, I love Matthew because it really picks up a lot of the Old Testament themes. And you see constantly how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. Uh, maybe you're feeling a little bit dry in your faith or you, maybe you're feeling a bit hard. Maybe there's been some difficulty in your life recently and you're a bit bitter. Maybe jump into Luke. It's called the Gospel of the Outcast. And you see Jesus' heart in the most profound and, and beautiful way as he goes to people who are on the outskirts of society. Or maybe you're an art student and you've kind of, you need to go deeper in your faith. Why don't you read John? I love John. It's just so philosophical and profound. Grab one of those Gospels, read it with someone. Or maybe you can read a book outside the Bible that's talking about Jesus. If you're exploring faith, why don't you read A Spectator's Guide to Jesus by John Dixon. Uh, Timothy Keller's written a great book called Encounters with Jesus. It's very similar to the series we did last year, thinking about the, the specific moments and uh, interactions that Jesus has. Or maybe you can read The Scriptures Testify About Me. It's basically showing how the whole Old Testament points towards Jesus. Whatever it is, find a way to learn about Jesus, to see him, to, to make him real so that you can follow him. And one of the other best ways, of course, is to follow his followers. See, if the word of God is supposed to make us like Jesus, then you'll see that. And then you can find people to mimic, to learn from. Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We can see something of what Jesus is like by the people who have been following him. So look for those people in your life. It might be that there's a specific moment in your life where you're like, oh, I really need to learn about this. Maybe you're starting a business and you want to make sure that you're not overcome by uh, anxiety or uh, the, the greed of money or anything like that. Maybe you can look for someone in your life who's already done that. You can learn from them. Maybe it's a longer-term thing that you want to learn about. Perhaps you're a teenager, you're growing up, and you, you want to see what it's like to, to follow God in a different environment. Perhaps you're nervous about going to uni, you've been in a Christian school or something like that, and you want to see what it's like to, to follow Jesus out there in the big bad world, find a big brother or a big sister who can help you. 
Or maybe you're a single person and you want to honour God with that. Live in contentment, even as you might uh, desire other things. Find someone that you can respect, who you admire in the way that they've lived. Or maybe you're engaged and you're, you're thinking about marriage and all of those things. You want to prepare for that. Speak to someone. Get someone alongside you that you can learn from. I always remember this guy I met uh, who was always discipling someone, really passionate about it, and he'd kind of have these people in his life right next to him all the time. And uh, one time one of these guys was over at his house and uh, he and, and then uh, this bloke started arguing with his wife. And the bloke's like, oh, do you want me to you want me to just go? And he's like, no, 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 I want you to stay. I want you to see how we fight. I want you to see how we work out our disagreements. That's actually a really important and valuable thing to do. I know lots of people here have just recently had babies. What is it like to, to be a parent, to, to grow in your faith, even as you're so busy all the time and tired? Look for people who can speak into your life. And as we get older... Look for older faces, older voices who have the wisdom of experience. Mike Breen writes, when we want to learn how to do something, we find someone with real flesh and blood and have that person teach us how to do what they do. This person then invests their time, their energy, their skills and life into ours, teaching us to do what they do. You want to learn to be a plumber? Find a plumber, do what he does. You want to learn to be a disciple? Find someone with the life that resembles the life of Jesus and do what he or she does. I love that line. A life that resembles the life of Jesus. Because that ultimately is the point of discipleship. We're seeking to follow Jesus, to learn more about him, but also to become more like him. Bob Jukes writes, maturity means becoming increasingly conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ so that we think, feel, and act like him. That's, that's the gospel promise. As humans, we were made in God's image. Sin has distorted that, but Christ has come to renew us again. We are remade in the image of our creator, Colossians 3. 1 John 3 tells us that when we get to see him face to face, we'll be transformed completely to be just like him. Corinthians tells us so that that's a gradual process for us now. Bit by bit, we become a bit like him. And that's the task, the glorious opportunity that we have to become more and more like him, to find other people to help us in that task until we get to see him face-to-face. Well, the more you think about discipleship, the more incredible the whole thing seems. I mean, Jesus' ministry on earth was basically three years, and so he basically had three years to set up this kind of system that would see the world reached with the knowledge of him and see people come and follow him and live under his rule. That's not a lot of time. But his strategy wasn't just to to grab lots of crowds. He actually kind of almost rejected the crowds. He walked away from the crowds. No, instead he decided to grab some people close to him. So for three years, these 12 people travelled around with him, listening to him and watching everything he did. And then at the end of it, he told them to do the same for others. 
And at one point, it just feels like an incredible risk. I mean, you're putting all your eggs into this one basket. We know one of them fell out. Judas fell out and that egg broke. If you think about it, what if this all just went totally wrong? What if they all had fallen away? I mean, we saw how weak they were, how they deserted him at his death. Just six weeks before, he gives them this great commission. They've walked away from him. So one moment, it almost looks like it's, it's going to be a flop. And, and as you, you think about the reality of this, here's these few people to continue to promote the gospel and to, to pass it on, to pass on the life and likeness of Jesus to the rest of the world. You're kind of watching the gospel through your hands. This could all go wrong. But by God's grace, it didn't. And you actually see the genius of it. Here he is, discipling these people, pouring himself into their lives so they become like him and then they can pour into the lives of others. He's transferring his teaching and his values into them so that they can transfer it into the next generation. They've learnt about Jesus. They've become like him. They know him. And so now they can make him known. They are disciples who disciple other disciples. And they went out with the gospel, making disciples through Europe and North Africa. They say that James went to Spain, Thomas to India, Matthew to Ethiopia, Bartholomew to Armenia. We see Paul go all around the Mediterranean. And the gospel continued to spread ever since for 2,000 years. And it will reach every tribe and people and tongue and language. And God's strategy throughout it all is discipleship. People studying the words and the actions of Jesus, embracing that, becoming more and more like him so that the rest of the world can see what God is like and follow him. Now the baton has been passed to us. People have been discipled through all these generations and now it's been passed to us to look and to live like Jesus so that other people can see him and see his goodness and follow him. We are called to be disciples. And then we're called to disciple other disciples who then disciple others. The chain continues. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this great commission, this extraordinary opportunity and responsibility that you've given us. We thank you that you would entrust it to us. We thank you that you are with us in the entire thing. Lord, help us to learn from you so that we become like you. Help us to draw people to you. Help us to um, be humble enough to seek help, accountability, to ask someone to teach us how to live. And then help us to be the kind of people worthy of imitation so that when people see us, they see something of you. And Lord, we do pray that as that happens, they'll see something that they want and that they love so that they become disciples. We pray this for your glory because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.